Good morning, High Point. How are you all? Well, I'm excited to see you. You guys look a little subdued, maybe out watching the football game late last night. Uh, one of our staff members came in and they were like dying. And I was like, what? I went to the game last night and I said, what, you got too little sleep? And she's like, yeah, too little sleep. But they were, I had fun. I had fun. Yeah, I didn't have as much fun because my cubbies didn't win. But, but, but I'm still excited. I'm still excited to be here. Um, um, I had asked Nicole, Nicole to sing that song, and I, I hope you um, enjoyed her and Dee Ridge's rendition. Uh, I am guilty. I, I have been set free. How could it be? That's what we're going to talk about for the next uh, three weeks of our series. Before I dive in, I want to share with you just a couple of important announcements. Uh, it's a blessing for me to be a pastor at a church like High Point where we seldom have to talk about money because we are, everybody's so generous, we're typically always on budget, but I do wanna draw your attention to one important uh, detail that's in your uh, announcements today, that's in your, your reports. There's a financial update and we are about 14,000 below budget. And so I ask those of you for, for whom High Point is your home, church, to consider a slightly increasing your normal your every, your ordinary giving to help uh, us close the gap. We don't have a cash flow issue at all. Right, elders? I see a few of them. We, there's no cash flow issue. But we don't want to let this get away from us. So I wanted to make you aware of that. Also, secondarily, there's some outstanding classes that are going on. During the first hour, being and making disciples taught by Lloyd Biddle. Of course, today I can't, couldn't be there because I'm here. But so Hannah's stepping in. Uh, I'd like to see you, uh, uh, maybe for you guys, the second hour class. If you are regulars in this first class, second hour, there's understanding the Holy Spirit in everyday life. That's something we don't teach about a lot. Lee Wanick. Journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Two great teachers, Bob Grauman and Steve Loker. So that's second hour next week. Right now, first hour, being and making disciples. Parenting building blocks, if you want to become a better parent. That's uh, Ellen Flatmeyer and a transforming Bible study. If you want to learn how to dig deeper into the Word of God, transforming Bible study, Mark Finley and Kent Rawhauser, first hour next week. Love to see you there. Let's get going. For Freedom is our series. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. In particular, we're going to focus on chapters 5 and 6. Um, the book of Galatians is all about personal freedom. Here's the big idea. You don't work for salvation. It's given to you by Jesus on the cross. His cross accomplishes your mercy and his cross accomplishes justice so that the sins of all mankind are forgiven on the cross of Jesus. It's all by grace. It's, it's all about giving by God and receiving by us. That's the big message. Can't add anything to that, can't take anything away from it. And slavery is an attempt to add to it. It's Jesus plus trying to keep his, his, his commandments, his law. Jesus plus keeping his commandments in the law, law. futile. Any other way of coming to, to salvation, futile. Now that second point 
Any other way of coming to salvation is not Paul's point in five, in Galatians 5, 1 through 12. It's the practical point for us today. Not many of us are trying to go back and keep the law. Most of us have kind of figured out that they barely can keep their parents' rules. I think back to being a child growing up with my folks at home, I could barely keep their rules. So I, I don't think I, we have to convince you too much that you're incapable of keeping Jesus' commands. But I think perhaps I might have to do a work, little work to convince you that in order to be right with God, that it's, that it's good to be right with God, it's a blessing to be right with God, and that there's a way that that's done. That it's good, it's beautiful, it's in your best interest for eternity to be in good standing with God, and that there's one way to do it. So, the, the outline of the book, real quickly, Paul gives a history. He says, I, I came to Galatia, modern-day Turkey. I preached the gospel. You heard it. Some people came behind me, and they were adding laws to it, and you were falling away from grace. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was what Paul preached, and when he left, some people came behind and said, no, why don't you keep, you need some circumcision. We, we want to restore the Jewish laws and ceremonies. And Paul said, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you a story in history. I had to re rebuke one of the highest apostles, chapter 2. I had to rebuke one of the highest apostles, Peter, for the same kind of hypocrisy. He would be hanging around with the Gentiles knowing that the food laws were dead and he'd be enjoying a meal with them. And then certain people would come from Jerusalem, certain of those who were practitioners of the law, and he would, he would fall back and separate himself from the Gentiles. And Paul saw this and he called him out. He said, you and I both know, you and I gave testimony to our brothers in Jerusalem that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that one no longer needs to keep the law so that Gentiles don't have to become Jews to become saved. So that's what happens in chapters one and two. In chapters three and four, he lays out justification by grace, by faith, alone, chapters five and six, which is what we're gonna concentrate on these next three weeks, is the lifestyle of one who has received the salvation of God. What is the lifestyle like of one who's in union with Christ? Let's get started. Stand firm, Galatians 5, 1 through 12. Galatians 5 and 1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this is my main proposition for this sermon. Live in the freedom that Christ has given you, not the slavery you left behind. Just so happens in my life, uh, there are some things that I'm glad I left behind. Some of the things I'm glad I left behind um, were issues that I didn't contribute to them. I just kind of inherited them because of my family particulars, right? The fact that my parents got divorced when I was young, for instance. Some of the things I left behind were my own doing. Um, went to college as a nominal Christian. Had heard the gospel, but didn't really own the gospel. 
had heard the Christ, but Christ wasn't in me. And so I lived in such a way that now I'm ashamed of, such that some of the times when I, uh, I, I barely want to go back to the University of Illinois to meet some of my fellow alums because I'm going to have to make some apologies. So I don't want to go back to the burdens that I was in before I was in Christ Jesus. I want to stay in the freedom that I've received right now. Stand firm. So live in the freedom you have left in Christ, not the slavery left behind. I want to make three points and then we'll conclude. Three points. God's view of freedom contradicts ours. That's a major point that we really have to digest. His view of freedom contradicts our view of freedom, our humanistic view of freedom. Freedom enables real union in Christ, real salvation in Christ, real life in Christ, enables us to live a life of loving self-sacrifice that flows out of genuine love for and general faith in Christ. Third point, slavery, spiritual slavery, is to try to add to the gospel obedience and law, merit on your own course, merit along with Christ, slavery, or any other means of saying that you're good, that you're good. Sometimes we will try to witness to people about Jesus, and their main defense is, I'm pretty good, I'm, I'm, I'm a good enough person right now, I'm good, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I'm not that much of a sinner, and if I am a sinner, I can justify it, and you know, you know I'm, not like, you know, I'm not like ISIS or anything, I'm not that way out there kind of deal. And so there's this, I'm good enough, I do some good things, I give to the poor, I serve, I work hard, I love my parents, that kind of thing. And what I wanna propose to you is that that self-justification doesn't stand up in front of our God. Those are my three points, first point. God's view of freedom contradicts ours. My view of freedom, uh, I'm an African-American and I don't, I don't like the word slavery. I just, I don't like it because of the heritage of my people in America. I just, when, when that, when that uh, slavery is a metaphor that Paul is using to talk about one being united to Christ versus not. But I don't particularly like that metaphor of slavery. I like liberty though, I like liberty. I said, so my perspective is freedom is liberty to do as I please. God's perspective on this though, is that freedom is receiving the love of Christ and living in it. It's a, different, it's a different concept altogether. Mine is, I want liberty, just get out of my way. Get your rules out of my way, get your ideas. Let me, let me, let me accomplish what I want to in, in this world my own way. And God's idea is receive my gracious offer of a relationship with me through, through what my son has accomplished for you. His idea of freedom, slavery. Life under the yoke of oppressors. Some of our debate in these times is over which rules are oppressive to people or not. And people want liberty. They don't want to be enslaved to certain ideologies. And God's perspective is that slavery is to be controlled by sin. God's perspective is that left outside of him, I'm going to do damage that ruins myself and ruins you. And that outside out of, out of him, even if I try hard, work at it, I'm going to fail again and again and again outside of him. 
God's perspective is anybody who's not in him is in slavery. There's a freedom paradox. This is a freedom paradox. The word of God says in Romans 6, 6, that I am in bondage to sin. But in order to be be released from that bondage to sin, Romans 6, 18 says that I need to be a slave of Christ. So so Jesus says, I'm in bondage to sin if I haven't accepted him. And the only way to get out is to be under his leadership, is to be in Christ Jesus. That's the only way out. Let me give you an illustration of this. I had a, a horrible job coming out of college. I was an, an auditor. Uh, I needed a job. I, I was a finance major. Uh, I was like, I got to take whatever job came. I had two job offers, one in St. Louis, one in Chicago. Took the one in Chicago. It was in my hometown. Didn't have to move. Uh, I was an internal auditor tr- trying to look at controls, making sure people weren't stealing money. Hated it. Hated it horribly. So what did I do? I said, well, I'll become a financial analyst. This is a bank. Banks analyze other corporations trying to determine where they should give money. That seems more interesting. Let me try that. Tried that for a few years at City, at Continental Bank, then at Citibank. At the end of it, every day my life was like coming in, crunching numbers, going home, coming in, crunching numbers, going home. I know there's some accountants out there that love that. <laughs> I see a few. Coming in, crunching numbers, going home. Man, I'm t- it was stifling. It was soul stifling. My, my wife would see me come home and she'd say to me, Lloyd, this is, this is just really tough on you. It's really painful. I was like, yeah, you know, but I'm young. I'm married by this time. I need a job. I'm bound, right? So, so what happens? My insurance agent sells me a life insurance policy. He thinks, he says, you should consider going into sales. I said, I've never sold anything. Uh, uh, long story short, I end up at an American family, and I take about a, over a 50% pay cut. I loved it. I loved the work. It was awesome. But I had to leave one form of slavery, obligation, to the bank, Citicorp, to go to American Family. And I was obligated by the rules and processes they had, contracts that they had for agents. But I loved that freedom because I, all of a sudden I wasn't coming doing the same thing. I was meeting people. I, was, I, was, I had never sold before, but I found out I was good at it. I had staff. I, I was using a whole wider range of skills in terms of leadership and selling and, and administration and, and, and getting referrals. It was just great. It was awesome. I loved it. But I was still bound. Freedom is not the lack of submission. We know this about things like in our work. Freedom is not the lack of submission. Freedom is determined by what you choose to be submitted to. This, this uh, principle applies to a lot of things. It, it applies to almost, almost anything we set our hearts to. You have children, right? Most of us are, uh, feel a love obligation to our children, and sometimes it's not all that pleasant, right? But, but nonetheless, some, most of us who are parents wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Though it has its downs and problems and trials and tribulations, we wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. We want to be bound to our children. It's not even, we don't even look at it as slavery. We look at it as an opportunity to pour out love. So my first point is God's view of of freedom doesn't contradict ours. So it's not liberty. Freedom is not liberty. I really think for an American, we need to really grasp that that the freedom that Christ has given us is in him 
not the wonderful, wonderful liberties that our democracy gives us. There's a separation. Russell Moore talked about that, that we are first, if we are in Christ, Christians uh, bound to Christ in love, separate from our national allegiance. Second one, freedom enables a life of loving self-sacrifice that flows out of genuine love for and faith in Christ. Second point, Galatians 5, 6 says it this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I had lunch this week with a, with a Karen, Karen Krauss. Karen Krauss runs uh, Hope in the Future. Um, this is an intergenerational community that she started herself. It's a, it's a nonprofit that she runs. She's had this in her heart since she was in her 20s. And the last 15 years, God has been building that, that organization. She has this unquenchable faith in the vision that God has given her to create this intergenerational community where she and her staff and the community will care for, for seniors and seniors will care for younger people. It's this vision that she got from, from, from God. She, she refuses to let it go. And in, and in that, in, with that vision, she, she lives there in this facility and she loves her residents. She just had two of her residents die over the last month or so. So they're kind of devastated because they don't just, they're not like nurses or whatever at the hospital that may or may not care. They, they are invested, they're like family. They're like family to the people that, are, that they serve. These are their family members, right? And so she has faith in the vision that God has given her, and that faith works its way out in love for the people that she serves, both her employees as well as those who stay there. And when I was a kid, and after my parents got divorced, um, I was having some, I needed a man in my life that would show, encourage me, because I wasn't around my dad as much. My dad didn't, didn't abandon me at all. He was available, but I was at my mom's all the time now. And so I, I joined the basketball team in sixth grade and I ran into these two ex-Marines, Coach Williams and Coach Watkins. And Coach Williams and Coach Watkins, I thought they were coaching me basketball. They were coaching me how to be a man. And all of the, the guys, the young guys that they uh, were, were on their teams over about a 10 year period, these guys, they were 24 years old, fresh out of the Marines and making no salary as a coach, working full time, coming and probably spending something like 12, 14 hours a week with these kids. And they had just like a tremendous impact on my life. From those guys, I learned how, what it means to be a leader. When Coach Williams appointed me coach, a, a, a captain in eighth grade, I've been a leader ever since. A leader of my family, a leader in the church, all because of what they infused in me. They, they, they believed in those kids at Resurrection Grammar School. These young black uh, boys, some of them didn't have, like me, were kind of struggling in their families. They believed in our potential. They, they loved us. And they taught us through discipline and time. They believed in us. And they served us faithfully for near no money. And after I finished, many years later, Coach Watkins, getting close to 70, and a bunch of his former players from grammar school did a, had a celebration for him. 
And I couldn't make it because I was here and it was happening in Chicagoland. But I called him and I said, Coach Williams, I want to tell you what's happened in my life. I got a degree from the University of Illinois. I went to Kellogg. I got, I got another degree from Wheaton College. I said, do you know what an impact you had on my life? And he said this to me. He said, Lloyd, we understood what we were doing. We recognized that most of our players needed someone who loved them but would teach them discipline. And we, and we knew we, you know, we, we weren't making any money, but we just believed in the school. We believed in what you, and you kids. And they made a, a world of difference, an eternal difference in the lives of countless kids because they had faith working its way out in love. One of the things that's, that as, as, as you, you think this through, I want to speak for a minute to you Christians who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. There are certain times when even working here at the church, have a wonderful job, work with great elders and a great staff. But just like you, I work and sometimes you have to drag yourself to work. Come on now. Am I the only person that has that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I won't be out here all by myself. Occasionally, you just have these days where you're dragging yourself in to, to work, and, and if, if whatever job you're doing, if that goes on for more than a day or two, you need to check your relationship with Jesus. You need to ask yourselves a few questions. And, and one of the questions are, why do I do this service? You know, why did I leave American family and come to work for the church? And the, uh, the first answer is, because Jesus loves me. Because Jesus called me. Because the people that he, he has assigned me to serve, I can really make a difference in him. I believe in what Jesus is doing in your lives. I believe in what Jesus is doing in my life. So we, we serve out of love. We, we need to remind ourselves sometimes of this, especially if you're going through a, a difficult time at work or with your family or with your other family members. The reason that you're invested in trying to share the love of Jesus to others is because of Jesus sharing his love for you. It's because you believe that it has eternal benefits. You believe that God's not going to let you down, that he's going to fulfill every promise that he's made to you and every promise he's made to every Christian to be with them forever in eternity and to give them power today. I don't serve Jesus just for tomorrow, by the way. Now, come on, talk with me. I serve Jesus for today. What I have found is my life in Jesus is, is more peaceful what I found is I have more productivity in the work that I do. I see the benefit in people's lives of bringing people the gospel in how I serve, in what I speak. I see more benefits in that than anything I ever done before. I, I, see, I see a maturity in me, slow as it may be. I see a maturity in me of learning how to serve people selflessly and not expecting anything in return. I'm learning more and more how to be free and how to enjoy the freedom of how to love people selflessly as Jesus loves me. Duty is not the best gospel motivation. It's a good thing. Sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do because you've got to do it. But if that's the way you operate on a 
everyday basis, you miss the gospel. The gospel is about the love of Christ shed into our hearts, poured out to our neighbors. And that's what this verse says. I want to give you a case for loving Jesus. A case for loving Jesus from the story of Scripture. You see, God is Trinity. We believe in one God and three persons. And if you read John 17, verses 20 through 26, I can't go there now. What you'll find is, before Jesus says, before I was with these disciples, I enjoyed the glory between me and the Father. Before, and he says, I'm going back to the glory I had in all eternity. What Jesus is saying is that he was already eternally happy. God was already eternally happy. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, each uplifting each other in eternity. And what what God has done in creating us is he said, hey, come on, it's a party over here. It's a party over here. I was was watching the Cubs games when they had had, uh, uh, clinched their going to the World Series. And I, I was looking at what they were doing down in Wrigley feel. And I was like, man, that's the party I need to be. 47 years of Cubs fan. I need to go down and join in that party. There's an eternal party that's going on in the Trinity. It's better than any party that we've ever been to. It's full of happiness, full of joy, full of love, full of peace. And you're invited to the party. That's the reason why Jesus came. That's the reason why we were created. So that we can enjoy eternal happiness. Man, my homework for you is go read John chapter 17 verses 20 through 26. Jesus is saying, I want you to be unified with me for eternity. That's the best thing going. We were created to share in God's happiness. I have not always quite understood that. I've I've kind of thought that I was created to be God's slave or his servant, even though countless times he says that I am his son crying out, Abba, countless times it's said in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, countless times, but sometimes I feel like I'm just a slave. Well, if you feel like that today, I'm just telling you, don't trust your feelings. If Christ is your savior, if the Holy Spirit is your guide, I'm trying to tell you, you're a son, that you have full citizenship in God. In fact, the most important thing you have is your personal relationship with Jesus. And from that, he gives you all things. In, in the Gospel of Luke, that's what the story tells us about the prodigal. I don't learn that much from the first son who went, wasted money, and came back. I learned more from the second son, the one who stayed. The one who is, the scripture tells us that when the father gave his resources, he split them to both sons. The younger son took it and wasted. But when the younger son comes back and the father receives him, His son was lost and now is found. He has this great celebration, takes the best robe, takes the great ring, and the older son comes back. And I see myself more in the older son, primarily because of of being kind of dutiful. I see myself a lot in him. And he says to his older father, couldn't believe he says to his father, he said, when I've been here and you haven't even given me a little calf to, to party with my friends, and now this son who's wasted the money on prostitutes, here he is and you having a party? And here's what God says to him. It'll blow your mind if you let it resonate in your spirit. Here's what he says to him. He said, son, he said, I'm with you always and everything I have is yours. He says, you might feel like uh, 
pharisaical, you might feel like that you should be recognized because of the good works that you've done. I said, you're wrong, son. Everything, he didn't say it to him like this. He said, everything you've got now, everything you have, it came through me. He didn't say that to him. He said to him this, your relationship with me. I said, I've been here all the time with you. I've been here to love you your whole existence. And everything I have is yours. He had split the inheritance with him before. He said, everything I have is yours. But we got to go and celebrate the lost one that came back. And so salvation is by grace. You didn't earn it. I don't care if you're the most, the holiest, most perfect Christian in your own estimation. God is saying that it don't take all that. What it takes is for you to love me and serve out of that love. It takes for you to recognize the good blessing that you're in. It takes for you to recognize that being a Christian, even right now, is an awesome thing. There's nothing better in this world than to be in Christ Jesus our Lord. The blessings for now and for eternity that it brings, nothing better. And we need to take some time to appropriate that. God sees men harming each other. He comes, he creates men, he sees us doing stuff to ourselves, self-destructive things. He sees me doing things to you and you doing things to me that are evil and that will lead to our ruin. And what does he do? He ends the story. I was talking to a principal this week in Verona High School and he was in the cafeteria and he has two, two of his good students, nice, nice guys, but they were having a conflict and one student, they were going at each other. So what does, the, what does he do? When the teacher who loves the students sees the students about to fight, what does he do? Watch them, call security, or does he jump in the story? Does he jump in the story and get in between? And is he willing to take a shot if he needs to so that this one doesn't kill the other one? What I'm trying to tell you is that's what our Lord Jesus has done. He enters into the story. He sees us fighting and killing each other and blaspheming God. And he preaches peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he dies so that God can still be just by judging all the hell that you and I and every other man has ever done, yet at the same time giving mercy to all who are humble enough to ask for it. That is beautiful. That is the beauty of Jesus. Some of the things that people have done to me in life, my soul cries for justice. Bald-faced evil some people have done to me. But here's the flip side. I've done some bald-faced evil to other people. My guess is I'm probably not the only person that finds themselves in that dilemma. Having looked back over your life and seen clear wickedness that you have done and, and, or that someone has done you and cried out for justice, but on the same side, cried out to Jesus to forgive you for the mess that you have done. And Jesus enters into that. He recognizes our need. And if you come to him in repentance and faith, mercy will win in your life and justice will be served. And so that's why when you see injustice in the world today, we don't know when Jesus is going to judge properly. And we don't know precisely how he's going to judge properly until the end of times. But I'm talking about in real time, we don't know how God is dealing with it. 
but I trust him. I've walked with him enough to know that he deals with injustice. I know that because he deals with it in my life in terms of conviction and troubles that I bring on myself. I know him by experience that God deals with wickedness in real time. And I know that he loves his, his children. He disciplines those he loves and he blesses his children. That's the Jesus, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's why you ought to love him. And that God, that God that I just described to you in this story of redemption, that God wants to live in you. Come talk back with me. The God of, of creation, of eternity, wants to live in me, wants to live in the West Side, wants to live in the ghetto, wants to live even now in my imperfections. Come on, talk with me. That that God wants to live in us. You ought to be excited about it. I, that's the love of Jesus. It, 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 I like this, this oxymoron that, that said in, in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to say, it says the love of God that, 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 you, that Paul says you should know the love of God that transcends all understanding. That's why it's so hard for me to preach to you. I can't understand it all, I can't preach it right. But nonetheless, it's true that God loves us so much and the beauty of God is so beautiful to us. It ought to be, you ought to reflect on it sometimes that the God of eternity wants to live in me. He wants relationship with me. That's all he wants. It's not about my perfect, how does this function in our life? best metaphor I can give you for how we should walk in faith and love is a good marriage. In a good marriage, there's this sense of mutual love that happens all the time in a good marriage. Your spouse can be away like mine was for six weeks, and you don't doubt that, that she loves you, and I don't doubt, and she doesn't doubt that I love her. There's this sense that the, the love abides in a good marriage. There's a comprehension that you, are, that, that you are bound, but that the attachment brings joy. That's my favorite picture. One of my favorite pictures. It sits on my office. I was 40 years old, uh, going through just difficult times, work and ministry and raising kids. It just felt really pressured. And uh, we were celebrating uh, my birthday at a steakhouse. Ruth Chris in the Chicagoland area. And I got this picture of my family. And it has my wife and my son, and they're all smiling. But the smile that gets me every time is the smile of my five-year-old son, Jared. He's just having the time of his life. Life is wonderful. And what I wanna say to you is that being bound is not a big deal, that's not a problem for me. If my children are growing in Christ Jesus, if my wife is, is flourishing, then I'm all good. That there's a joy in, in our suffering and in our pouring. When, when, when someone tells me, Lloyd, uh, that little bit of thing that you said that really has made a difference in my life, then it's all good. It was worth the 15 hours or whatever I studied to, to come up with. So that, that when we, our love is not out of uh, being bound can be a, a great joy and delight. I want to switch to the third one, the recognition that the union blesses others. Here in the church, us working together as a family can accomplish more throughout the world in terms of the, of the mission of Jesus than any of us could accomplish on our own. 
We're supporting 35 missionaries. We're having baptisms now like every week. People are growing in Christ. The church has been growing slowly but surely over the years. And all this is happening because of us. All of this is happening because of us in Jesus. All of this is happening because of Jesus. And you and I happen to be connected in on the party with him. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. What he expects is for me to love him and to serve him out of love. This has been a burden for me because I, I, I want to be perfect, but I can never quite get there. I have this, I fall in the fit to, to being a, a person that wants to be justified by obeying. And God never intended that, and I get depressed over nothing. What he expects is me for me to love him and to serve him out of love. Can anybody hear that today? Last point. So we talked about living in freedom. We said God's view contradicts ours. We said freedom enables a life of loving self-sacrifice that, that flows out of love for and faith in Christ. And our last point is this. Slavery is a futile attempt to obey the commands of God to be justified by him or any other means of justification. Galatians 6.1, the second part, says this. says, stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 6.4, you, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from, the, from grace. I was talking to a young man at our church not too long ago. And he was struggling with the same struggles that I have, which is looking into God's word, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and seeing that you don't fully measure up and wondering if that meant whether he had a relationship with God, where he was really saved. He was struggling over his salvation because he looked into the scriptures and saw accurately that he didn't meet all of them all the time. Really struggling. And so that's why Paul is so serious. If you read Galatians, he's so, he's so vehement about this point that your salvation and the Holy Spirit in you is all a, a gift. It's about giving and receiving. And you're the recipient. Trying to be justified by keeping the law is futile because the law was never intended to lead you to salvation. The, the law was intended for us to know that we are sinners. Did you know that? That's why the Old Testament law is there. It's for you to recognize that you cannot that you in no way can keep God's word without God's help. You, you can't keep God's word without God's help. The law was given so that you would recognize that. Humble yourself and accept Jesus' atonement on the cross and live in the love of God via the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel is. That's what the law was intended for us. And we need to grasp that. Third, final point. We can't earn our way into salvation with God by, keep, by obeying his commandments, and we can't keep it any other way either. We can't make it any other way. Can I find another means of justification? No, because everyone who desires to justify themselves in any other manner is rejecting God. Now, why is it? Why is it that we want to reject God? Why is it that all of us have been in this place? Even Christians are at places where I just don't really want to do what I, I know Jesus is saying to me today. Well, why is that? 
We reject God because we deplore the idea that we are sinners. There were some people, some of our interns were at the Jesus lunches at Middleton High School, and uh, one of the protesters was like, you are not sinners. Everyone, that's their heart cry. I am not sinner. I'm okay. Won't you quit? You know, even though your soul convicts you, that your conscience convicts you, uh, you tell your conscience, I'm okay. We're not okay. We don't like the idea that, that we are sinners. And, and, and we don't want to recognize that our hearts are fixated on our personal desires. That all day long we're thinking about how we can have our personal desires satisfied. And we're not too crazy about the necessity of turning our hearts away from our self-seeking and our self-serving and our self-justifying. And the Christians even have to fight this. That's the battle against our flesh, right? That's what the scripture says, walking according to the flesh. Our self-seeking, our self-justifying, self-gratifying, that urge that never leaves us. We can only fight it through the power, through releasing ourselves, through uh, aligning ourselves to Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can get out of that mess. We wanna self-justify no matter how gracious God may be. That's the struggle. And the only way to get out of this slavery is to be captured by the love of God. That's why I spent so much time on that subject. So here's the, the deal as I close this sermon. You gotta choose either inspiration and transformation, or you gotta choose aspiration and perspiration. Inspiration is faith inspired by Christ's love. That's why you need to get, establish your own vision of why you know God loves you. I gave you mine early in the, the sermon with those seven points of how I know God loves me in the world. You need to have your own vision of why God loves you. That's the faith that inspires you. And transformation is the real righteousness that's powered by the Holy Spirit. It's God in you obeying God's word, changing your life. That's real transformation. That's the only way it comes. God's power, God, your obedience by giving yourself to God and him working out in your life, loving self-sacrifice. Or there's aspiration and perspiration. Aspiration is to be justified by merit. Your own standards, your own way. And perspiration is to prove it all the time. This is the dilemma that man finds himself in whether they're going to receive Christ or go it their own way. It is as if Jesus is saying to us, justice has been served. Big Daddy Weave, I like this. Justice has been served. Now let grace and mercy overflow in your life. Justice has been served on the one hand in Jesus, and now forgiveness and love. Walk in that. Receive that, that offer. You either can be a free man or a free woman in Christ. You can walk in the joy of the grace and truth that he has provided you. You can stand firm. Let us pray. Lord, you are beautiful to me. When I take the time that I should to reflect on how gracious you are, how humble and how gentle and how lowly of heart you are towards men. And when I think of 
your wonderful uh, works in my own life. Uh, when I think of the church family you have given me, when I think of uh, my, uh, my natural family that you have given me, and uh, when I think of what my life was like before I knew you, my soul cries out hallelujah. And Father, my prayer is that more and more your people uh, will rejoice in your goodness and will recognize that their, their works um, don't save them. They're just a demonstration of real love poured out through faith. And that those who have yet to accept you will see just how wonderful it is to be united to Jesus. That's my prayer. That the non-Christians will see how beautiful it is to be in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.